Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. You know, I thought that would be good. I didn't realize it was going to be that good. That was really cool. Was that good? Uh, if you don't think that was good, you're going to have a hard time at Renaissance. I'm just saying. That's how we define good. That's what that was. Um, well, welcome, everyone. My name is Jeff. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm one of the leaders here at the church. I pastor here, and I want to welcome you for the second or third time already this morning. I'm glad you're here. I come into the room every morning uh, before you guys arrive. I'm up early. Um, I meet with my staff, we pray together, and then I come into this room and I move the chairs around. And I do that because, to be honest, you are terrible about disorganizing the chairs <laughs> when you leave. So the previous week, you destroy this room, and because I love you and I'm your pastor, I put all the chairs back in nice, uh, neat rows. Ha ha, joke, joke. But when I do so, and I do, I touch all the chairs and I, I pray for them. And I pray for the people that are coming to church today. And as I was moving some of the chairs around today, I, I feel like I have a word uh, from the Lord for some of you today. And so before I even get to my message, I just want to say this. Um, some of you are real close to what God is calling you to. You're real close. And it's just a little shift it's a little shift. It's all God is needing yet to do in your life. It's something you need to grab a hold of. It's something that you need encouraged into. I don't know what it is. It's not a, a big shift. We're not moving entire rows around. We're just moving things over just a little bit. And I don't know who that might be for, um, but I sensed it deep inside of me today that this would be for someone in the room today. So if that's for you, I pray you take it away that you meditate on it, you, in, you, you think about it. Um, be encouraged that God sees you, that he's paying attention to you. Know that there are people in this church who are praying for you without a full understanding of everything that you're going on in, in your life. We, we trust the Lord's leadership in your life. We trust him. And if you, if you continue to make Renaissance a place of worship for you, I, I want you to know this. We will, we will point you to Christ. We will point you to God and the power of his Holy Spirit every week so that you can, can move in the direction that God has for you. Is this resonating with anyone? Okay, all right. Well, that was free, and I didn't even write that down, so that's for you. Yay, well done. Okay, so we're going to continue our Bible study with a little bit of time that I have left in Luke chapter 5. If you have a Bible with you, we'll be reading Luke chapter 5, starting in verses 27 through 32. You can turn there in your Bible if you have one. We'll put words on the screen for you. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. If you don't have a Bible and want to read one today, there's, under, uh, there's probably one underneath the seat around you. There's a hardback black Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take that home with you. We like to give those away as gifts. You can have that, write your name in it, call it your own. So um, as I was meditating on this passage this week, preparing to, to preach on it, I was struck by a couple things. There's, there's a, a several questions that are asked in this passage. And it just got me thinking about the power of asking questions. 
I was walking with a, a dear friend of mine this past week, and we were talking about this. And uh, he said this line, and I said, I'm stealing that and putting it in my sermon. So this is for you, Dan. This is for you, Dan. Um, Dan said, he thinks curiosity is a virtue. And I agree with him. That if we are curious people, if we are people who are seeking knowledge, seeking to understand, seeking to see things differently, that that can be a good thing in our lives. And I began to question, what would it look like if we spent a little more of our time questioning some of the things that we do in our lives? And, and this sermon will probably lay into that. But know this, curiosity has many benefits. I think we, we, we explore new things. We try new things if we're curious people. And I will say curiosity also has its drawbacks. If you're too curious about other people, we call you what? Nosy right? Get out of my business, busybody type people, right? So there is some balance to curiosity, but I agree with my buddy, Dan, that it is a, a virtue that we should, we should uh, aspire towards. In fact, I even believe there's biblical support for this. Um, I'm going to have them throw up Proverbs 18 verse two that says this, and we would all probably resonate with this at some point, but it says a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. <laughs> Ouch. Like, who wrote that in the Bible? Golly. By that definition, all of us are fools. Say amen. amen. At some point, I think we all are. At some point, I think we, we can be. So, so today, um, I want to read Luke chapter 5, 27 to 32. I want to pray, and I'm going to ask God to just really um, peer inward today. I think God's doing an inward work today. So let me read uh, this passage from Luke 5. Verse 27, it says, after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to Levi, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others all reclining at the table with them. Verse 30, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The short answer, it's fun. I'm just throwing it out there. That's why. That's the answer. That's why. Verse 31, those are jokes. Help me out, people. Come on. I don't know about this church. Um, I'm never coming back. Verse 31, and Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. So I have come, Jesus says, not to call the righteous, but rather to call sinners to repentance. Woo. All right. I got a lot of work to do. We'll see how far we get. Lord, would you help us today? We, we are a church that prays. We've already prayed many times this morning, but we, we don't want to go forward without acknowledging the fact that these words, these holy scriptures, they come from you, that they are the word of God and they have an, an effect and a power um, in them alone that comes from you. So we pray, Holy Spirit, with the power that you can give us, that you would open our minds, open our hearts, and you would, would speak to us in a way that helps us today. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we desperately, right? And I hope that's for all of us. We desperately want to serve you better, serve you well. And we want you to shape our lives, Lord, because we trust you. We know that you're good and we are thankful for everything that you do. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Verse 27, it says, after this, 
Jesus moves on to this guy, Levi. This, the after this portion is, speaks to what we talked about last week, if you were here. And if you're not here, I'll give you a Cliff Notes version. But Jesus was, was preaching at a house, probably Peter's house. We're not 100% sure. But it was full. It was crowded. And, and some friends brought their friend who was paralyzed on his little bedroll, his mat. And they brought him to Jesus because they knew Jesus could heal him. But when they get to the house, it's too full. And so they make their way to the roof. They kind of claw through the tiles in the roof and they let their friend, the paralytic, down in front of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't heal him at first. He says these words, your sins are forgiven. And then he heals him. And the Pharisees and the scribes who had gathered in to hear Jesus' teaching to be critical, I'm sure, begin to question, who is this man who blasphemes? Who's this person who says that he can forgive only what God can forgive? Because we believe that only God can forgive the sins that have been given against him. And so Jesus says these words, so that you know that I have the power to forgive sins, he tells the man to rise up, pick up his bedroll, and go home. And a miracle transpires. And in that moment, we learned that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. He can do something that only God can do. He's telling people, listen to me. What I say to you matters to you. Matters to you probably more than you think it does. The things that Jesus, Jesus says to us carries more weight than even what our moms say to us. And then what our spouses say to us. And I tread lightly there because my, nobody's been used more in my life by the Holy Spirit than my wife to transform me and change me. This is where the husbands are supposed to say amen. <laughs> That's called a swing and a miss. You, you missed <laughs> strike one. <laughs> so I'll give you another chance in a little bit. Pay attention, men. Pay attention. After the healing of the paralytic, proving that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, we move into this story, and, and Luke records for us, he saw this man, Levi. The word translated saw means to look intently at him. Do, don't picture this, um, this scene in your mind where it's just Jesus and Levi in the room. This, this street where Levi has stationed his tax booth is on a crowded thoroughfare. There are many people moving about this space and Jesus looks through the crowd and sees him and notices him and comes to him. And his name is Levi, which points to the reality that he's probably from the tribe of Levi. And if you don't know anything about what the tribe of Levi is, just know this. This is where God chose his priests. The tribe of Levi, Levi were where the priests came. And they were the, the go-betweens between a great God and a, and a sinful people. They were the people in between that, that met God and his people together. And maybe as a child, his parents probably thought, well, our son will grow up to be a great priest Maybe he'll be one of those go-betweens. Maybe he'll be somebody at the temple. Maybe he'll be somebody that connects God to others. But he wasn't. He's a tax collector. Something happened in his life. We're just guessing at this point. But he's a tax collector. And a tax collector, just so you know, is more than just someone that works for like the IRS. But he is someone who is working for the Romans. He is someone who is in opposition to the Jewish people. He is a Jew working for the oppressor, the Romans, and he collects taxes for the Romans, but not just taxes, but he collects more than he is required to collect because he wants to live a lavish lifestyle. He, he takes money from his fellow countrymen and the people despised tax collectors. So much, in fact, they weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law because they were untrustworthy people despised. There were places in the temple they could not go. And but I mean places, I mean the whole thing. They could not go to the temple. 
They were outcasts, much like a leper was, except the leper typically didn't choose what happened to them. The tax collector chose their profession. So this man is despised. Jesus sees him sitting in his tax booth. We can't walk past this without seeing this, this fact that he is working. He's in the middle of extorting his fellow countrymen. He's on his job. This is, and this is graphic, so forgive me, but this is akin to the prostitute sitting in the backseat of a car with a customer, and Jesus comes up and goes, knock, knock, knock. Hello. In the middle of what he's doing, Jesus comes to him and says, I have a question for you. Luke doesn't record it as a question. He just says these words. Jesus said to him, follow me. But this isn't a command, is it? I don't think so. I think this is an ask. And there is power in asking. That Jesus asks him, do you want to come with me? Do you want to follow me? It's an invitation. Do you want to become a Christian? Do you want to become a believer, a disciple? And we see his response. We don't hear his response, but Luke records for us that in verse 28, it says that he left everything and followed him. He left it all behind. He left his job behind. He left his lifestyle behind. He left his reputation behind. No longer is Levi going to sin against his countrymen. He became a Jesus disciple that day, that very day. And know this, that following Jesus meant more than just wandering the countryside, listening to Jesus teach and preach. It meant this, using your influence and your skills for Jesus. Look what Levi does next. After leaving everything behind, it says in verse 29 that Levi made for Jesus a great feast in his house. Now, we don't have an idea of how much time has transpired between Jesus inviting Levi to follow him and this great party that we're going to read about now. We don't know how much time. Was it the same day, eh, later that day, later that week, later that month? We don't know. But at some point, Levi takes it upon himself to throw a great feast at his house where Jesus is going to be the, the man of the hour, if you will. And ask yourself this question, why do we have great feasts? Why do we do things like this? It's because we're celebrating something. When we celebrate a, a wedding, we have a big wedding feast, don't we? I have two daughters. <sighs> I have not saved enough money. I'm just saying, um, yes, big feasts for weddings, for holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we have big feasts. When you have a big business deal that goes through, you celebrate with your staff. And, and it, you see what I'm saying? So, so Levi is celebrating something. Lucas is showing us this. We don't know what exactly he's celebrating, but we can, we can infer what it is. Because he has this feast at his house and he invites all of the people that he knows, which would be who? Tax collectors and sinners, other people that are like him. And he invites them to, to come and meet Jesus. And this is, again, that shows the power of the ask. This, this, again, shows us what it's like when we have an, a living relationship with God, the God of the universe, through his son, Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. When we have that, we desperately want our friends around us to have the same experience. Say yes. Yes. Well, we want that. We think we want that. Well, we know it would help them because they're just a bunch of idiots some days. Yes. We know that. Yes. If they would just give their life to Jesus. But how can we do that? Instead of just calling them idiots all the time because of the dumb decisions they make, why don't we introduce them to Jesus? Levi throws this great feast. 
I heard a story this last week of a guy who's uh, well known at the party warehouse in his town. If you know what a party warehouse is, it's a place you get the balloons and the glitter and all the stuff that you hate cleaning up after everyone leaves. But he goes to this place all the time. He's so well known that the people in the store actually know his name. And they started introducing him to the new staff members one day when he walks in. They go, hey, everybody, this is Jim. Jim throws great parties. Maybe the Lord would be asking some of us to be like Jim, who just throws these great parties. I don't know what that looks like. Probably good food. Probably good drink. Probably an invitation to come and to hear and learn about Jesus. What if we were known for people who threw great parties instead of just saying, hey, are you doing anything at 10 o'clock on Sunday? I'd like you to take you to a weird, awkward room on the third floor of a building and have a guy scream at you for 30 minutes. How awesome would that be? <laughs> which, which I appreciate you inviting people. I don't mind screaming at people for 30 minutes. But I'm telling you, you can make a whole lot more inroads with your friends if you invite them to the house. And I'm telling you, there's power in the ask. And I know that sounds weird when I say it. There's a K on the end of that word. Everybody there? Power in the ask. Ask. Asking. There's power in asking. Thank you, Dr. Mary. Thank you. And sitting with Levi's, this large collection or company of tax collectors, um, what a, and, and, and others, sinners is what the Pharisees call them. We have a, a large gathering of extortionists and criminals all gathered together. Can you imagine what the conversation around that table looks like? What interest rate are you charging? When's the last time you had Jebediah arrested? I mean, all of these things. Because <laughs> he didn't pay his taxes. Know this, whatever the conversations were, they probably weren't holy. They probably weren't righteous. They probably weren't God-centered. And yet Jesus was in the middle of it. Jesus is not afraid of the sticky, weird conversations that people have. He's okay with it. He knows. Dude, he knows. Of course you're going to talk that way. I had a friend of mine who used to get upset when one of our coworkers um, this is before I worked at the church, and I have to say that because it would sound weird if what I said next implied that I worked at a church. But when I didn't work at a church, one of my coworkers used to tell these off-color jokes and was real coarse in his language. And a friend of mine that worked there, too, was also Christian, and he was offended by that. He's like, would you just stop cussing? Would you stop? It just offended him. And I said, I get it. I mean, I understand that. But I went to my friend that was asking him to stop, and I said, he doesn't know any different. Right? He doesn't know. So quit putting rules on him. If you want him to change, invite him to your house and meet Jesus. <laughs> don't just tell him what he can't do. Is this making sense? I don't know. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But he says there's a large group of people there. And whatever the conversations were, they weren't holy. But Jesus is there. And he's reclining with them at the table. He's not avoiding these sinful people. He's engaging with them. He's sharing life with them. And when we look at these details, we get a picture of what Luke, the author, is trying to tell us. That the church's practice, that Luke appears to be defending the church's practice in the first century or so of ministering to outcasts. And, and I say that because of what happens next. What happens next is the Pharisees come and begin to grumble, not to Jesus for eating with tax collectors and sinners, but to Jesus' followers for eating with, with tax collectors and sinners. And Luke 
this, this story is told in the other gospels, but Luke is the only one that gives us these details about that. And it's because he wants us to understand that, that when you uh, align yourself with Christ, when you become part of the church, then you will be criticized for eating with people or for being with people as if somehow sharing a meal with someone is accepting them and all of their brokenness. Because we're not. We're loving them because of who they are and the potential that God has placed inside of them. Eating a meal with them doesn't condone all of their sinful, sinful behavior, Yes. Come on. Now, listen, I know, I know there are parents in the room who would have an understanding of this because we love our children even when they do really silly things. We don't base our love on someone when they act correctly. When children go wayward, we still love them and we invite them over for dinner. And by doing so, we're not, we're not saying I'm okay with your decision to, to live with so-and-so or to do this and that or not come home for a week at a time. I'm okay with you blowing your savings on, on drugs or whatever. We're not saying that. What we're saying is you matter to me and I love you. You want to come to a party? You want to come over tonight for dinner? I know you've been living a hard few weeks. I mean, there is power in asking people to come, man. Which leads us to question three. Verse 30, the Pharisees and the scribes, as I mentioned earlier, grumbled at Jesus' disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Again, this, this shared activity of eating and, drinking, eating and drinking, drinking, oh my gosh, implied acceptance, and it's not really true. But this question that they ask, why do you fill in the blank? Why do you fill in the blank? Eat with sinners. Why do you this? I'm telling you, this is the question that's stuck in my craw all week. This is the one I think we should pay attention to. This is the one I'm suspecting the Lord wants us to really ask ourselves. So I'm going to throw a few of these out there. They're going to sting a little bit, and it's fine if it does, yes? But trust me, the Lord wants to free some people. He wants to help some people. Let me just ask you a couple questions. Why do you spend four hours a day on social media? Like, what's the, what's the need that, is, that the, the Instagram or the Facebook is really ministering to on the inside of you? What, what is that thing feeding in you? And is it helpful to you? Are, are you using it to take the place of something else and better, i.e. the Lord maybe, right? That can meet that need in a better, more sustainable way than a fleeting social media exchange with someone that you kind of sort of know through because you went to high school with them, I don't know, 100 years ago. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the answer to these questions, but I'm telling you the question, why do you fill in the blank? can change you? Why do you spend four hours a day on social media? Why do you get upset every time something good happens to someone else? Why does that really make you mad? Why do you fume on the inside saying they are so undeserving of that raise or they are so undeserving of that promotion or that car? You see that car they're driving or that, that house or that any, you see, why do you get so upset when good things happen to other people? Why do you worry about what others think or say about you? Oh, oh. <laughs> ouch. 
This is my pet sin. People pleasing. I keep this one around more than all the other sins. I've beaten a lot of sins in my life, praise Jesus. But this is the one that sticks to me more than anything. I care way too much what other people think about me. Which is really hard to do what I do. And stand before people that I sense are judging me all the time. I sense it heavily right now. <laughs> like everyone is looking at me like, oh my God, is he ever going to shut up? My therapist calls these benevolent questions. Questions with good intent. They're not intended to hurt me. They're not intended to, to make me feel shame. But they're, they're questions to, to peel back the layers of the root motivation center of my life. To really drive into the fact, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Why do you do that, Jeff? Questions with good intentions, they can really help us. I think there's power in asking questions. We've seen it three different times. We've seen Jesus come to Levi and say, would you like to come with me? We've seen Levi have his life transformed in, in, in such a powerful way that he wants others to meet Jesus and he invites his friends to come in, to a party. You wanna to come to a party? You wanna come and meet Jesus, the man of the hour? And then we, we see the, the questions that the Pharisees are asking, the religious people. Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you do these things? There's que these, these questions can free us a lot. Verse 31, and it says, Jesus answered them, which is hilarious because they weren't even asking Jesus the question. I love this. I don't know how this happens. Does he, did the disciples come and complain? Hey, those guys with the weird hats are outside again. And uh, they're asking us why we're in here eating with these people, <laughs> you know? And uh, I don't know. Or does Jesus just know? Does he just know? I don't know. But I tell you, Jesus sometimes just has a way of answering questions. <laughs> oh my gosh. Come on, Lord. Help us. Help us. Answer the questions. Even the questions we haven't asked yet, Lord, answer the questions for us. Jesus answers the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a physician, which makes sense. If you, if you feel healthy, you don't go to the doctor, but only those people who are sick. We all agree with that. And then he parallels that statement with his next line, verse 32. And I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. He's comparing the righteous to the healthy, but here, know this, he's not talking about people who are truly righteous in Christ. He's talking about people who are self-righteous. The ones who falsely think themselves righteous because of all their religious activity. Those are the ones, he says, um, are, are healthy and don't need Jesus, but they're actually sick on the inside if only they would know. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor. And he's speaking about blessed are the poor in spirit. Those people who actually know their debasement, their brokenness, and their own waywardness. Blessed are those people because they, they have an understanding they can't fix themselves. See, the self-righteous have no need of a savior or a Jesus or any Christ type in their lives because they are righteous because of what they do. You see my church attendance, don't you? 
You see the checks that I write to support the ministry, don't you? You see all the things that I do, don't you? And this self-righteousness puffs these people up. They have no need of someone to come and actually save them from themselves. Jesus says that I've come not to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. It just means those people who have come to the conclusion, rightfully, that they need saved. And we do. We do. One of my favorite things to say at Renaissance, and I've been saying it for 13 years, that nobody in this room has lied to you more than you. You are always telling yourself you're going to change. You're always saying, I'll do better next time. You're always saying, well, that was stupid. I won't do it again. And yet you continue to. Many of us have lived a life like that. And then Jesus has come to us and given us his Holy Spirit who empowers us to change. Left to our own devices, we cannot change. Yes, but in Christ, we can. The invitation is that. Are you curious enough to wonder what it's like to surrender your life to Jesus fully? Are you curious enough to to go, man, I've had people tell me what to do my entire life. It's never worked out. Are you willing to finally let Jesus tell you what to do? The benevolent one, the one who's good always and forever, who, who has the best for you? I'm telling you the question, it stands before you exactly like it stood before Levi some 2,000 years ago. Do you want to follow me or not? This is what Jesus is asking. Yes or no? It's not a command. It's an ask. Do you want to? Um, My pastor's heart, I want you to. I really, really want you to. It'd be so good for you. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for our time this morning. You are wonderful and great. We've seen you already at work this morning in our time together as we are praying for our graduates moving on to new seasons in life. We've seen you speak to us in that little word this morning about nudging us, just giving us a little redirection, Lord. We believe all of that. And we pray even now, Lord God, as we've looked to scriptures, the very words, the oracles of God, that you would use the power that are contained in them. And with Jesus, the spirit, God, the the power of the Holy Spirit to help us, help us be changed people, Lord. We believe if we continue to follow after you that we we will be transformed. Over time, we will run into friends from years ago and they will, they will say things like, wow, I hardly recognized you. Jesus, we know there's hope in you. There's no hope in trying the same thing over and over again. We are ready to move on to something new. So Lord, we pray that you would, you would answer questions, even questions we're not asking, Lord. What, is it, what does it look like for us next? What does this church look like in the next three years? I don't know, Lord. What, is, what does my life look like in the next three years? I don't know, Lord, but I'm, I'm coming to you because I know you're the one with the right answers. Holy Spirit, give us an inquisitive mind. Make us curious, like my friend Dan says. Make us curious, draw us into you. 
and help us to ask the questions that will help us, Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we bless you this morning. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.